0: As has been mentioned more than once, we are of course beginning a new year as far as this being the first, the first Lord's Day of a new year, the year 2013. And as we begin a new year, we think about beginnings, we think about uh, anticipation. What will the year bring and uh, what can we do in this uh, coming year to Make a difference positively in the lives of others. And what can we do as members of the Lord's body at, at uh, White Oak to uh, make sure that we continue to be pleasing to the Lord and that we seek to do even more uh, to advance the borders of, of the kingdom? That's a question that I'd like for us to, to uh, ask uh, today, and um, we'll use the blackboard electronic blackboard, if you will, to, to uh, deal with the uh, question, what will it take for white oak to grow in 2013? Now, someone might say, well, uh, you know, there are a lot of factors there, and um, we're just going to have to be lucky. We'll be lucky if we, uh, if we grow. Well, I don't particularly like that word lucky. I don't like it at all when it comes to the work of the Lord, because um, I don't think that luck, as the way uh, luck is used for uh, the most part, has anything to do with answering this question, what will it take for white oak to grow in 2013? But I would like to use the word today to talk to you about what it will take and hopefully in a way that will help us to remember what it will take for White Oak to grow in twenty thirteen as we think about the word lucky in a in a different sense. Let's just let's just take each letter of that word lucky and see some qualities or some characteristics that are going to be absolutely crucial to the growth of of the church here at White Oak in 2013. And as we begin the first two qualities, as we look at that letter L, would be love and loyalty. Love and loyalty. Think with me first of all about, about love. Obviously, it is a it is a foundational characteristic. We are to uh, we are to have love for God. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Remember that uh, that admonition. Jesus said to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind in response to uh, one, a lawyer who had come and and tested him saying, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Well, certainly that's the great commandment in the law, the law of Moses, but it is also the foundational principle for, uh, for our lives that we are to have love for God in every dispensation of time. That was true not only under the law of Moses, but prior to the law of Moses, it's true in this, the final dispensation of time. That our love for God must be a heartfelt love, a deep love with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Obviously, we're to have a love for Christ. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, what? keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If we go over to John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So 14, 15 and 15, 14 convey to us the importance of having a love for Christ. But we go back to Matthew 22, two verses later to see that we are also to have a love for others and for ourselves because after saying, the Lord did to the one who tested him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, two verses later he said, after saying this is the first and great commandment, he said, a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor, but notice, as yourself, as yourself. It may be that sometimes we overlook the latter part of of that, we know we're to love our neighbors. That's clear, made abundantly clear again in every dispensation of time. But what about self? Is it appropriate to to say that we're sh- to have a self love? Absolutely, it is appropriate. It's to be a a proper love of self. But we're to have a a proper love for ourselves. Love your neighbor as your self. And so, yes, we're to have a a self-love, uh, an unselfish self-love, and that is not contradictory because the Bible tells us that indeed we are to consider ourselves in the image of God because indeed we were made in that image. We are His children. We are blessed to be made in the image of God, and if we are in Christ, then indeed we are in an enviable position, if you will. We are in the best position we could possibly be, as one who is a true servant of God and Christ. So our love should be for God, for Christ. It should be for others, but also for self, in that indeed we are to take care of ourselves, we are to treat ourselves uh, bodily and spiritually as children of God. But also as we think about loyalty under the L, again we come back to God. And loyalty to God above. Look at Proverbs chapter 17. In Proverbs chapter 17, in Proverbs 17, an evil man seeks only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger will be sent against him. An evil man seeks seeks only rebellion. Rebellion against whom? Rebellion against God. And so we are reminded that our loyalty is to be to God, and that we are not to rebel against Him as we uh, see so much rebellion against His Word, the Word of God. In verse 21 of Proverbs 24, my son, fear the Lord and the King, do not associate with those given to change. You know, that's a very pertinent admonition in the time in which we live in the Lord's Church today, because there are those in the body of Christ today who are given to change. And uh, that, I wish, were not the case, but it is. But here's the admonition from the wise man of old. Do not associate with those who are given to change. And again, our loyalty, as was our Love and is our love, it's to be given to to Christ. You remember in John chapter 6, uh, in the latter part of that chapter, beginning at verse uh, 53, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. He goes on to talk about the bread that came down from heaven. He is that bread uh, that has come down from heaven. This is a passage that has nothing to do with the eating of the Lord's Supper. This is not a passage that relates to... Uh, the Lord's Supper, it's a passage that relates to the complete loyalty that we are to give to Christ, that we are to, as it were, eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God. That is, that we are to be partakers of His Word to the extent that we can say that we're digesting that Word, that it's that important to us, that it guides our lives to that extent. What about those on that occasion? Did they understand the significance of what he was saying? Did they understand the commitment that he was calling for from those who would be his disciples? Oh, yes. Look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Why? Because they understood that to walk with him meant loyalty. It meant sacrifice. Earlier in this same chapter he said, there are those of you who are following me, you're following me not because you uh, uh, saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. That's back at verse 26 of chapter 6. In other words, you're following, following me for the food. You're following me for the wrong reason. I want loyalty, undivided loyalty, complete loyalty. Eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God to completely imbibe of his teaching. Nothing nominal in service to Christ. Look at Luke 14, a passage we have looked at on more than one occasion, but we need to keep looking at it. Chapter 14 of Luke, verse 26, Jesus says, "...if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he," what? "...cannot be my disciple." Hate means to love less, as we've often said. Doesn't mean you have hostility towards your parents, but you put them in a position that is secondary to the Son of God, to the Savior of the world. You cannot come after me, you cannot follow me unless you put every other relationship in a secondary position, no matter what that relationship is. Husband, wife, brothers, sisters, children, mothers, fathers. It goes on to illustrate about building a tower and And going to war. And then in verse 33, here's the conclusion, if you will. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We've said before now, that passage doesn't say, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be one of my top disciples. He doesn't say that, does he? He says he cannot be my disciple. It's not a question of where you are on the list. You don't make the list, period, unless loyalty is characterized by your life. And what kind of loyalty is it? John 6, eat the flesh, drink the blood of the Son of God. What kind of loyalty is it? Mother, father, brother, sister, children, wife, husband, they all take a secondary position to the Savior of the world. And what about the Word? Our loyalty needs to be fully given to the Word because in that Word We learn everything we need to know to make us pleasing to God and Christ, to make us loyal to Him. And it is that word, John 12, 48 reminds us, that will judge us in the last day. He who rejects me and does not receive my word has that which judges him. The words that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. Why does that not sufficiently sober the thinking of people in this world. And why does it not sufficiently sober the thinking of many in the church today who spend precious little time with that which will judge them in the last day? It's hard to understand. Because Jesus said, this is going to meet you in the judgment. It's going to meet me in the judgment. And I better be meeting it day in and day out in my life and being loyal to it, and living out that loyalty every day that I live. Loyalty to God, loyalty to Christ, that means loyalty to the Word. But in that Word, we learn of loyalty to the elders. Loyalty to the elders. Godly elders are worthy of loyalty, love, and respect, aren't they? Hebrews 13, verse 17, is one such text. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. In other words, they're going to give an account for how they have shepherded your souls. And if you'll do the right thing, they can give that account ultimately before God and Christ with joy and not with grief because if they have to give an account of your soul with grief, that's not going to be good for you. But it'll still be good for them as long as they keep their lives where they need to be, and as long as they're carrying out their responsibilities as shepherds, they'll be saved, but tragically we'll be lost if we fail to understand the need to be loyal to godly elders who are leading us in the paths of righteousness and who are concerned about the growth and the stability of the White Oak Church. And thanks be to God we have such men right here. And how thankful we ought to be that we do because it is not tragically always the case. And so much more could be said about that. What about the congregation? What about the congregation? Should we be loyal to this congregation? Well, yes we should. Doesn't mean we can't ever leave home. (laughs) Doesn't mean that we can't ever uh, go somewhere else or visit other places or, or travel, and certain uh, responsibilities arise and needs arise that, that uh, take us to other places, but we still have an obligation to support the work of this congregation with our contribution. If we are away, we need to leave it before we go or make it up when we come back because the work of the church has to go on whether we're here or not, and we're committed as members of the body of Christ to help that work go forward the good works in which we are blessed to be involved, and so my loyalty in that regard to the congregation with my contribution needs to be certainly uppermost in my mind, but there's far more than that involved in terms of loyalty to the congregation. My presence, my presence, and we've talked about this, we talked about it some in Bible class about uh, attendance, attendance is not the sum total of faithfulness. Attending four times a week, Sunday morning Bible study, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship, Wednesday night Bible study, uh, the Thursday Bible class, whatever other opportunities I may have uh, to encourage others, that's not the sum total of faithfulness. But certainly, it's an important aspect. And it certainly is a way in which we encourage one another and show our support for the congregation. Remember Hebrews 10.24. Paul wrote, if Paul be the writer of Hebrews... Most believe he was, let us what? Consider one another to stir up in order to stir up love and good works. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Does that have anything to do with my assembling in this year? Will will my assembling here faithfully have anything to do with encouraging others or stirring up love and good works in others? Well, keep reading. After verse 24 of Hebrews 10, you have verse 25. Consider one another, verse 24, in order to stir up love and good works, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the custom of some is. The writer of Hebrews tied assembling to stirring up good works, didn't he, and love. And so loyalty to the congregation, and we need to appreciate the stand that this congregation has made for the truth over the years, and the stand that I believe this congregation will continue to make for the truth. So there's the L in lucky, love and loyalty. But what about understanding as we continue through the word? Let the U remind us of of the need for understanding, for understanding. If you look at the 119th Psalm, 130th verse, And, of course, this is a psalm that exalts and emphasizes tremendously the Word of God. But here, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And that's something we need. That's something we're going to have to have if we're going to grow spiritually. And when we talk about, incidentally, growing in 2013, we're not talking exclusively about numerical growth, not even talking primarily necessarily about numerical growth talking about growing spiritually, and hopefully that spiritual growth will lead to some numerical growth, but some of that is out of our hands altogether, isn't it? It's in the hands of the hearer, not in the hands of, of the heralder of the truth. But we can grow spiritually no matter what happens numerically. But we're going to have to have understanding in order to do that. And understanding, as Psalm 119, 130 points out, is, is tied inseparably to the Word of God. That's where our understanding needs to be uh, fully seen. What about Ephesians 5 and verse 17? That answers the question, doesn't it, as to whether or not you can understand this book. There are those, as we begin this year, as they ended last year, who will say, I, I just simply can't understand what the Bible teaches. It's just, um, it's too difficult or whatever. What did Paul think about that in Ephesians 5 and verse 17? As he wrote to the Ephesian Christians, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now there's a command, if you will. Do not be unwise, but here's what you do. You understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, Paul, we can't understand it. Well, I know that, but I'm telling you to understand it anyway. No, obviously not. Paul, an inspired man, didn't tell Christians to do something they were incapable of doing. We can understand the will of the Lord. And it's imperative that we have that understanding, to understand God's will. But, you know, we also need understanding toward one another. And, again, this Ephesian letter has something to say about that. a chapter earlier in Ephesians 4, verse 1, beginning, Paul writes, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. There's understanding. Long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, making sure that we do everything within our power to keep the unity of the Spirit, the teaching of the Spirit, that has come through this book, that we work hard, that we work overtime, if you will, to keep that unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And that's going to take understanding toward one another. There's an old expression that originated in the Restoration Movement with men like Alexander and Thomas Campbell and Barton W. Stone and and other men who were very brave and courageous in seeking to lead men out of the confusion of denominational error and to lead them back to, to the book. And here is the statement, in matters of faith, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. In all things, love. And that is a great statement. And it is one that we need to apply to the coming year as we work together here and labor together. In matters of faith, we absolutely must be unified, and we can be unified. In matters of opinion that don't make any difference, then let's grant some liberty. And uh, don't push to the point of division our opinions, but grant some liberty. But in every situation, everything is undergirded by love in all things love. So, the L, love and loyalty. The U in, in lucky is understanding, and the C is conviction. Not long ago we preached uh, two sermons on Sunday morning Sunday night on the matter of, uh, of conviction and conversion and some things common to conversion. And And the difference between uh, conviction and convenience. And that's what we're talking about. There's a vast difference between conviction and convenience. And we need to understand that what is always convenient uh, may not be possible for us. That it's going to take conviction to at times do some things that are inconvenient for us. But that's what conviction is all about. And of course the thing about which we need to be convicted initially and understand continually, is sin. We've got to be convicted of sin. There's a great psalm, Psalm 51, in the first three verses of of that psalm, the penitential psalm as it's called. After the sin with Bathsheba, David in his penitence cries out to God, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude." of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. That is penitence gone to seed, isn't it? That's penitence being expressed so powerfully and so poignantly in that great psalm As David cries out to God, please forgive me, I acknowledge my sin, I'm convicted of that sin. The conviction, the conviction jumps out at you from that passage, doesn't it? And that's the attitude towards sin that we must continue to have in 2013 and for as long as God grants us breath and life. We must understand the seriousness of sin and never fail to turn from the sins that we will inevitably commit because we're human beings and cry out to God for forgiveness and when necessary cry out to our brothers and sisters for forgiveness and never be hesitant to do so when it is scripturally incumbent upon us to do that. Because we live in a world where sin is not very serious anymore for the most part, is it? And where people, as we have often talked about, are redefining it Some are just completely dismissing it, with some it is not even in their vocabulary, and that is becoming increasingly so. Not so with us. We must live with conviction, and base that conviction upon the all-sufficient, all-powerful Word of God. Tonight, incidentally, we're going to talk about the attacks that have been and will be leveled against this book in 2013, and how this book answers those attacks, because I think it's good to begin a year reminding ourselves of just how powerful this book is to produce within us the conviction, the conviction that will be pleasing to God. But not only that, knowledge. And the K reminds us of knowledge. The wise man again, Proverbs 1 and verse 7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where real knowledge begins. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we begin 2013 with a great many in the latter category who are despising the wisdom and the instruction. But we must redouble our efforts to help others see just how powerful this book is and how crucial the knowledge is because only by studying this book can we ultimately be presented to God, approved of him. Look at Second Timothy 2, verse 15. Be diligent, the King James says, study to show yourself. The New King James says, be diligent to present yourself, approved to God. When is that presentation going to take place? I believe the verse is saying that the presentation is going to take place at the judgment. That's when you're going to be presented. Now, now is the time for you to be diligent in anticipation of that presentation. And when you are in that time to be presented, make sure that you are presented as one who is approved of God. How will you do that? By being a worker, for one thing, because that's incumbent in what he says here. It's implied a worker, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And again, isn't it tragic? that a great many people, so many people in the religious world today calling themselves Christians, would shun and deny the word worker there? Paul says a worker, a worker. It would be better described by those in the religious world predominantly today as a waiter. And by a waiter, I don't mean someone who waits tables. I mean they would say a waiter just waiting. Waiting to be presented because there's nothing we can do. Nothing we can do to present ourselves approved to God. We just wait to be presented because we've already done it and our sins were washed away when we prayed the sinner's prayer or accepted Jesus as our personal Savior and nothing can change that salvation that we have and basically we're just waiting. Now I know they would say, well I know it's good to be working. I mean it's good to be doing things. It's good to be active. But if you pin them down and say, do I have to do that to be saved? Oh no. To be consistent, the answer would have to be, no, no, you don't. You're a waiter, in effect. You can be a waiter, that is, wait, to be presented. Not so with Scripture. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God in that judgment as what? As a worker. A worker, not a waiter, but a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and part of that work involves what? Making sure that you rightly divide this book, this word. And again, as in Ephesians five seventeen, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here, the same writer, the Apostle Paul says, you are to rightly divide it, which implies what? It is rightly dividable. You can do it. You can do it. And you're going to be responsible, all of us, as to how well we've done it. Well, that you brings us to the last letter in the Word. What will it take for white oak to grow in 2013? The why is you it'll take you, it'll take me, it'll take all of us, it will take all of us. You see, I can't sit on the sidelines, I can't be an observer, I've got to be that worker, that worker. And a passage we have looked at quite often reminds us in Matthew 12, 30, that he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Jesus says you cannot be nominal. You cannot be neutral. Pilate, not a possibility. Cannot wash your hands, as he sought to do in terms of his culpability in the crucifixion of Christ. No, he who is not with me is actually against me. And if you're not actively gathering, you are in effect... Scattering abroad. That's why you, you, all of us have to be involved. You remember the church at Laodicea, what the Lord through John said about the church there, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's pretty graphic and Very uh, unmistakable, isn't it? When it comes to what the Lord also said in Matthew 12, 30. Not with me, you're against me. Not gathering, you're scattering. It's exactly what the church at Laodicea was doing. Lukewarm, and it made the Lord sick. Therefore, in 2013, we are going to have to be lucky for the church to grow. But, not in the way most people think of that word. It's going to take love and loyalty to God and Christ and to all these other things we've talked about. It's going to take understanding. It's going to take conviction, not convenience. It's going to take knowledge of the Word of God as we feed upon that Word every day. And yes, it is going to take you. As we close, let me ask you, does the Lord have you? Are you with Him? Or are you against Him? You can't say, well, I'm not with Him, but I'm, I'm not against Him. We've already proved that to be an impossibility by the Lord's own words. Therefore, we plead with you to be with Him in the only way you can, by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 8, 24, believe that I am He or die in your sins. By repenting of your sins, Luke 13, 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, Jesus said by confessing Him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. Confess me before men, and I will confess you before the Father in heaven, Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty-two. And then be buried with Him in baptism, where His blood will reach you to cleanse you. Not the water in which you're immersed, but the blood that's applied in that water. That's the key. It's not the water that cleanses, but the blood does, and only the blood can. And yet the blood is only applied, according to Scripture, when you are willing to submit to that burial. He who believes, Jesus said, listen to it, and is baptized will be saved by the blood that will be applied there. And then you can rise to walk in newness of life as a member of the Lord's body of the church because he adds you to his kingdom, the church, upon your obedience to his gospel. And then as you labor with this faithful congregation or congregation wherever you may live, then As you labor faithfully, exhibiting the qualities that we have examined here today, then you have that hope of eternal life. There may be some here today who have done those things initially to be a part of his kingdom, but you know that you're beginning 2013 away from where you once were and you need to be back where you once were. We plead with you to come home. If you need to repent publicly of sin in your life, we plead with you to do that. We'll pray with you and for you to the God of heaven who loves you supremely and welcomes you home with open arms as we stand to sing.